Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. I really enjoyed interviewing my next guest, and I bet you'll like the interview too. The reason is my guest isn't a lead generation professional. He owns a service business and created a simple process for generating leads with email. Everything from his sales process to the targeting to the setup to the copy is extremely simple. See, I really love sharing what's new and exciting in the world of cold outreach with you all, but not everyone is an outbound sales nerd like me. If you're a listener of my podcast, you may be someone who just wants to get in, learn enough just to be dangerous, implement immediately, and get results. If so, you're really going to like this episode. Stick around until the end so you can understand the entire process and then give it a try for yourself. I'll see you on the other side. What if you knew exactly how to use cold email, LinkedIn, the phone, and other sales channels to get new meetings and customers for your B2B product or service? Morgan Williams is an enterprise sales rep that's obsessed with cold outreach. If you're sick and tired of fluff, theory, and general advice on how to sell to cold prospects from people who haven't sold anything in the past 20 years and instead want detailed, tactical, step-by-step instruction, this is the podcast for you. Each week, he'll interview salespeople, consultants, and entrepreneurs about actual outbound sales campaigns they've run with real numbers and results. Each conversation will be a deep dive into deconstructing a specific campaign's results, as well as the strategy behind it. You'll get the opportunity to peek behind the curtain and see what's actually working now in cold outreach. Welcome to Outbound Metrics. Mark Bromhall is the co-founder of Contentelect, a content marketing agency that creates blog content for SaaS companies and SMEs. Through excellently researched and written content, they'll take your blog from basic to brilliant, improve your search rankings, become a thought leader, and nurture prospects down the funnel with great content. Mark, pleasure to have you on. Are you ready to dive in? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. How does your agency get results for your clients? Predominantly through email outreach and LinkedIn outreach. Awesome. And what would you say makes you unique or different from your competitors? I think we show our customers a lot of love. So for a start, although we use a large freelance writing team, every single customer also gets access to like a project manager for their piece of work. So effectively, what I'm saying is that for every order, content order we get, there'd be at least two people working on it. There'd be the writer writing it. And then a project manager would be doing the proofreading and the final editing for sending that document over to a a client. And I I think that that doesn't get done all that much in the industry. Sure. And do you productize pricing or custom? Productized. Cool. And who is your ideal customer? Ideal customer is a SaaS company, but not enterprise SaaS. So medium size and down to small. Gotcha. Awesome, man. Thank you for that background. And I know today we're going to be talking about your process that you've used to get clients for your agency. So we know a little bit about who you serve, 
Can you go a little bit deeper on like what problem you solve and the value from the writing that you provide to these companies? Sure. You know, when we first started the, the agency, we weren't actually targeting SaaS. We were targeting other customer cohorts. But through trial and error and what have you, we quickly discovered that there was a really huge opportunity to serve the SaaS market. And there are a few reasons for that. First of all, SaaS is quite easy to win over um, because SaaS founders and marketers tend to be rather savvy when it comes to content marketing. So the education piece doesn't have to be done. Whereas we were finding with other customer cohorts, we had to first go in and educate them on the value of content and you know, how it works in terms of the effects happening over a much longer period of time than say display advertising or a PPC campaign, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to spend more time to actually land them as a customer. Whereas a SaaS founder or marketer gets content from the get-go. So we can leave the educa education piece at the door. And then secondly, why our value proposition is compelling to SaaS is that often they're still quite lean organizations. So they might have a head of marketing or VP of marketing and maybe one or two other people in the marketing team, but their hands are often full with other tasks like digital ad campaigns, doing email marketing, taking care of other marketing channels and blog content or content marketing through their blog is often neglected. But when we come along and we approach them with our offer, it often fills that the void that they know they need to be doing, but they don't necessarily have the resources to execute on it today. It's more of, I'll get to that in six months time when we've raised another round or you know, we've got sign off for a few more hires. And so what we do is we say, just outsource it to us and we can fulfill this component of your marketing function. Awesome. So they know they have this problem, but they also have these other tasks, priorities that are competing for their time. So you guys come in and kind of take that off their plate while keeping their brand on point and getting their message across with content. That's correct. Awesome. Have you noticed that your customers are in a specific industries or verticals, marketing, or anything like that? Just curious if you're, you've seen um, similarities in your customer base. Not really. So we are industry agnostic, and we really do serve a very broad spectrum of customers in different industries. Gotcha. When you're doing your outreach for your company, besides targeting non-enterprise SaaS companies, medium to small, what are you looking for? characteristics in these companies when you're prospecting to sell your service? Sure. Well, what we would typically do is take a look and see if they have a blog. Um, and first of all, if they don't, then there's a golden opportunity to say, look, have you ever thought about starting a blog? And if they do, are there some glaring and obvious opportunities to improve the existing content? And then with that, we can often go use that as an end. If, however, every so often we'll come across a SaaS company who's got an amazing blog and they're putting out, you know, multiple posts a week, long form content, well structured, really well written. There's probably not much we can actually improve upon if we were to come in. And the reality is they've already probably built out quite a sophisticated in-house content team. And that's why the content is like it is. And so in that case, that's someone who we probably wouldn't reach out to. Gotcha. So when you're building this list to prospect or gathering these companies, how are you going out and finding them? Sure. So we use um, a few different SaaS resource databases. The one we currently use is called Captera, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's yep. 
it's a directory of SaaS companies. And we just go through Capterra and, uh, you know, we generate the lead information from there. And then we start off by reaching out to them on email. Awesome. I'm familiar with Capterra, but are there filters on there that where you can kind of sort out who's small and medium sized or is there any way you find that component? It's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. I don't think there are, but once again, we sort of know who the big players are. So if sure. we see Salesforce, we're going to leave them aside. So we haven't really encountered an issue when it comes to putting in all of the information into our database and then reaching out to companies who are too big. Because I think at the point of extracting the info, mm-hmm. we can quickly discern who's within our target customer base and who's not. Gotcha. Like a quick eye test. That's um, right. Kind of tell. Okay. So when you're finding these companies that you want to contact, who are you targeting inside these organizations? Yeah, that's a very good question. And this is a, I think, very important element of outreach. So we're always looking for the very top level decision maker. And that's one of two people, either a co-founder or a marketing director or head of marketing. But I would say 85 to 90% of the time, it's going to be a co-founder. And what's the uh, reason behind that going after that top level person? Yeah, it's simple. It's just that these guys, their interests directly correlate with the profit of the company. And so they can very quickly say whether this is going to be something that's going to be beneficial to them or not. Whereas in our experience, if we engage with people lower down in the organization, they could potentially turn us away for reasons that don't relate to the betterment of the company. If you understand what I'm saying, so they yeah. might be very busy that week or there might be something else going on in their, in their diary where they sure. just don't have a lot of time to actually speak to you and understand what you can offer them. Whereas a founder or co-founder, if they can see the value in something, they'll make the time for it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's going to affect their bottom line and that's what they care about. Right. They'll make the time for it themselves or they'll give it to someone and say, hey, check this out. They'll this pass could be it valuable. Down. Yeah. Um, And what you noted is extremely important uh, with outreach. I completely agree. It's because you have to understand that everyone at a company can say no. Everyone from, you know, the janitor up to the CEO can say no, but there's a few key people who can say yes, right? So it's about getting in front of those people who can say yes and getting a real response from them, like you were mentioning, going down lower levels, someone may be I'm out of here in a few weeks. Uh, No, thanks. Um, I got my my plates full. I don't want any extra work. No, we're good. You know, that sort of thing. So that's That's a really good point you mentioned. And there's another one other component to this, which is in, because when we first started out, I was doing the outreach. And so what I picked up on is there's definitely a, a level of empathy that you get from fellow SaaS founders. So for example, if I was persistent, Mm. which I I often am, I would, you know, hound them until they basically said either yes or no. But often in that process, they would come back to me and say, look, mate, I really appreciate your persistence or 10 out of 10 for effort. Like we maybe not going to use you, but good on you for following up. I appreciate that. And I don't think you'd necessarily get that from people further down the organization. You know, these guys understand the hustle that's needed to actually make a company's success, particularly when it comes to new business. Mm-hmm. And they're used to getting told no too, a lot, right? So absolutely, for sure. That's I had never thought of that, but that's a really interesting point. And it, you just realize that it's not just you know names on a paper you're reaching out to. These are real people. 
So that role founder comes with a lot. And part of that is understanding that persistence that goes into building something. So thanks for sharing that. So we got this list of companies, people, where do we go from here? What are like the high level action steps you take? Yeah. So we, we put them into like a, a sheet by category and yeah, we've got so, you know, the, the founder's name, the email address, the, the category that their company sits in, obviously the company name. And then we use a, a tool called GMAS, which is our email outreach tool, which integrates into Gmail. And the beautiful thing about GMAS is that it obviously then also integrates to the, the full suite of Google tools. So what you can tell GMAS to do is to go to this sheet and pull these contacts into an email based on rules. And so then we would effectively do that every day, um, reaching out to a set volume of contacts. Uh, the number fluctuates depending on what domain we're using, and I, I can get into that. And then the next step after that is once we've basically pulled all the contacts into an, an email form, or if you like, an email editor, we would then use some templates to start the kick off the email uh, series. So we put each prospect into a series. It once again changes between either two or three emails, depending COVID's kind of just set the cat amongst the pigeons there. So before COVID we were doing three um, now during, and just sort of, you can maybe call this after COVID we're doing two um, just because we think it's a little bit, I guess, just more in tune with the times, mm-hmm. but we'll probably revert back to three uh, in the next few months. So we put them into the series. And um, the most important thing, I guess, is that first email needs to be personalized in some way. So obviously we're going to use their first name and then we might make reference to either their company or at least the SaaS industry. And then thereafter we follow up, but the follow-ups are very simple follow-ups. So the first follow-up is just two words. And that's those two words are any thoughts. And then a final follow-up is uh, more just around a message of just saying, look, I understand you're probably getting you know hundreds of emails every day. I just wanted to check in and see if this was still of interest to you. And those get sent out at, at you know, obviously intervals. So the first follow-up gets done about three days after the initial email. So quite soon after. And then the final follow-up would probably get done two or three days after that. Gotcha. You said two to three days for the first and two to three days for the second? Yeah, I guess in total about a a week. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. I definitely got a bunch of questions on this. First off, you put them in a sheet by category, you said. What are you categorizing them by? Oh, just by industry type. Industry type. Okay. So we have used that in the past for personalization. We're Mm -hmm. not currently using it, but we still include the category just so that we have it because we might want to obviously revert back to some kind of category personalization in the future. Gotcha. And the merge tags you're using or the columns on your Google sheet, those are, you mentioned founder's name, email address, company name, industry, or right. Industry type, anything else are you using those uh, for? A few more. So we use company name, first name, last name, position, the email. Those are the merge tags. Cool. Yeah, I guess. Cool. And you mentioned the volume of email or the volume of people you contact fluctuates. What would you say a range is in a typical campaign for you? So we were kind of doing around 100 to 120 a day, but we have experienced of late some issues with domain reputation. So we've recently moved over to a new domain. And because it's new, we don't want to go, you know, out of the starting blocks too aggressively. We currently 
looking at an output of about 40 to 50 emails a day. But we'll slowly work that up to the 100 mark over time. Gotcha. And for people listening, can you explain why you wouldn't start off sending 100 to 120 emails per day from a new domain? Sure. So I think, you know, as the kind of knowledge goes, you want to sort of, to use industry speak, warm the domain up. And so being a, a new domain, if you go out of the starting blocks and just start, you know, sending out high volumes of emails, I think it could be detected as spam from the get-go. Mm-hmm. You want to avoid that. So the first thing we did actually before even doing outreach was we sent out a bunch of emails to contacts that are in our domain. So basically email addresses that we own and then made sure that obviously the emails were getting into the inbox. We added them to the contacts and this all just helps warm that domain up and, and just adds legitimacy to the domain. And then after that, we just are going to slowly uh, ramp up the outreach week on week. You just don't want to be too aggressive from the get-go. How long did that warming process take? It's taken a few weeks, like three weeks or so. Gotcha. Three weeks of sending out how many emails per week? Uh, Well, 40 a day. 40 a day. Okay. Gotcha. But I mean, once again, you know, we're not experts on, on this side of thing. We're just going with what the sort of literature says and, on the internet, I guess there are other people who are, are definitely more informed on domain reputation, but it's just something that we've had to address in recent times. Sure. But it's important. So, I mean, you guys are doing it, you're checking the box and it's working. So, I mean, that's yeah. what's important. I've definitely gotten lost in email deliverability before and been like, okay, what do I just need to know to get it done? <laughs> you know, cause it's a very <laughs> deep topic that you can go on. But okay, cool. So uh, the templates that you're using in the series. So that first email, you mentioned the personalization in that. As far as the piece that's not personalized, what does that messaging look like? Yeah, sure. So I can just run you through. I'm happy to actually explain exactly how it looks. Would love that. Um, So first of all, what's very important for us that we found is you want to keep the subject line short and sweet. Um, Now, this once again, it's not a hard and fast rule. I know that people also see great results. Uh, with personalization. Mm -hmm. The message that we found works very well is just two minutes and question mark. That's our subject line. And then we open with, you know, just hi, first name. We've just stumbled upon your company name on Capterra. As a SaaS company, I thought I'd reach out to you as this may be of interest. And so by saying that, you, you start in the first sentence by driving a bit of intrigue. So like, as this may be of interest or this may be of interest to you, naturally someone's going to think, well, I'm not going to close the email. Now I want to know what this thing is. Absolutely. And then we just say content lake produces high quality search optimized blog content for SaaS companies, SaaS brands from aerospace to zoology. Well, not quite zoology, but you get my drift. So a little bit of humor <laughs> use our services to transform their blogs from basic to brilliant. If you're interested, I can share some samples of our work. And that's effectively the call to action is to get them to say, yes, send me some samples. And um, look, this is once again, we constantly kind of refining this, but this is the current message. uh, One of the messages that we're using, we are AB testing things, but this is one that's currently in the mix. Awesome. I really like this because you answer the subject line is like a low risk type of uh, message two minutes when someone sees that they're like, okay, well, let me just check it out real quick. Cause it's like, it's important to get people to, to take action at each step, right? Get it in the inbox, get it opened, right? Keep them reading. So found you on Capterra. 
as a SaaS company, this may be of interest to you, immediately calling out, you know, where you found them, which is people think that when they get an email from someone, how do I know this person? Or how did they find me? Did I sign up for something? You know, what is this? And as a SaaS company, you're making it relevant to them, which that's a good little hook you got there. And then just clearly stating the value you provide, who you provide it for, a little bit of personality, right? And then a very simple, low risk call to action. Can I send you some samples? Not, can I talk to you for 30 minutes? You know, any of that. It's just very simple, easy to say yes to. So I really like that. With all the people I talk to, um, it seems like the simpler, the better the results people get with this type of stuff. So you also mentioned that you A-B test. What do you test specifically in your email sequences? So we've been A-B testing, firstly, uh, different email subject line formats. So there's a tool, I forget the name now, which is a Chrome plugin, which allows you to change the format of a, I think it's just Gmail subject lines. Mm. And so we tested that out for a few weeks, but discovered that the standard subject line format worked better. Those were the results. It worked, it was about 50% better when it came to response rates. So we aren't actually testing, we don't measure open rates because we find that with the tool that we use, open rates can impact deliverability because obviously there's code that has to be inserted into the email. So we were just looking at actual response rates. Awesome. So using the subject line you do now is better than the format you were testing. Yeah. So the format was just effectively a different font. Um, Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know what the name of the font was, but it just kind of basically took the standard email font and just made it bold. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. Cool. From there, we are testing, as I say, different email body copies, like the copy of the actual email. So the one that I read to you earlier, that's one of two variants we're currently testing. Awesome. And what do those other variants look like just like at a high level? Sure. So the other one's very similar, but it makes reference to COVID. So it shows a little bit of, I guess, empathy to say, I hope you're keeping well in these tough times. Just wondering what your content marketing plans are as we emerge from COVID-19. Awesome. Okay. And number three? We don't have a third one at this stage. Those are just the two we're working with. Okay. We'll come up with some others over the coming months. Cool. Awesome. And so with this approach, what types of results have you seen in terms of, I know you've turned off open tracking for deliverability, but in terms of reply rates, what have you seen? Sure. So we get about a 9% uh, response rate or 8.5 to be exact. And these are both positive and negative responses. The positive response rate is 4%. So that's just less than half. And then our overall conversion rate is 0.3%. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And also I wanted to, I forgot to ask, have you noticed any themes or patterns in how people respond? Maybe specific questions that come up frequently? Yes. Good question. Usually there's a few kind of common themes. One is if we reach out to a founder, they'll often loop in their head of marketing or someone in the marketing team right from the get-go to pick it up for them. And that's quite common. The other one that we get a lot is, well, obviously the, the best one is just, yes, can you send over some samples? I'd love to see them. And then I guess another one, those are probably the most too common actually, is either the co-founder looping in their marketing person 
or just a simple uh, reply back to say they'd like to see the samples, which is the intended result of this all. Sure. After you send those samples over, what does the process look like from there? At the moment, because we've just hired an SDR, the process is to then either get the prospect to book a call to find out more or to get them to effectively place an order. But usually what would happen is we would first follow up on the samples. So we would just say something like, you know, hey, I'm just following up to get your thoughts on the samples I shared with you. Simple, just one line. And then based on their response, we can kind of then uh, discern whether prompting them to book a call is going to be preferable or prompting them to actually make a purchase is preferable. So for example, if they say something like, I really like the samples, what are the next steps? Um, I'd like to try you out. Then maybe just sending them a link to buy content makes sense. Uh, Whereas if they said, I like the samples, but I've got a few more questions, then booking a call makes sense. So we just kind of like, you know, read the situation and then decide on the best message thereafter. But the KPI is either, it's two KPIs, either just book a call or, um, or place an order. Awesome. And for orders, what is like the average transaction value of that first order? And then what's your typical lifetime value of your customer? Yeah. So um, that the most common kind of first order size is $100. Uh, and the reason for that is they usually buy a thousand words of content. And that's because we sort of frame it like that in our messaging, but also a thousand words is a, these days, it's kind of like the benchmark when it comes to a good length of content for SEO. So it makes sense. And then the customer lifetime values. The question, is that what you asked? Correct. I like that you've got a pretty clear process for how people turn into customers and like what you're optimizing for, what you're looking for. Like you mentioned, the two biggest KPIs, right? A first order or book a call. Because what I found a lot with email outreach is that after someone says yes, or especially if someone says I have more questions. Even people who are interested can get lost in that pipeline. They can fall off, things come up, it takes too long to get a call. So having that clear process for like, it's not over once someone says yes, having that clear process like you have for where do they go next in my sales process is critical. Yeah. Booking the call is important because some customers might want to get started because we have two different products. We have the pay-as-you-go product and we have monthly blog articles so pay as you go you can just buy content ad hoc and that suits certain customers but some customers want to come in on a monthly blog plan from the Mm get-go but naturally on something like that they're going to have questions you know when can i cancel how do i get the topics over to you do you come up with the topics do you do the strategy there's a whole host of questions they have you know we have faqs but at the end of the day I know myself, I would want someone to be answering those questions on a call because then I have an opportunity to see you know, who's the person or people behind the brand. Sure. Do I trust them? You know, are they legit? Mm-hmm. And so you can get a whole lot more when you actually have a call. But on the pay-as-you-go side, they don't, most people don't need to have that call because the risk is low, right? They're just buying right. one article for $100. Sure. So that's the kind of difference we find. Pay-as-you-go, if they just want to buy one or two articles, we can usually send them a link and they'll purchase. If they're more interested in coming in on a monthly plan, which obviously we place greater value on, mm-hmm. then we usually will have a call with them before that happens. Yeah. And uh, our customer lifetime value is just over $7,000. Awesome. 
Awesome. That's great. Because I wanted to give context to those conversion numbers and those reply numbers. So that's impactful, right? Yeah. Getting those, you know, converting those customers is impactful because of the $7,000 LTV you've got for them. Awesome. Mark, I really appreciate you giving your insight and showing everything that you're doing with outreach, especially in, I really like talking to people who are not just selling lead generation, right? They're selling different things like you're selling content. And I know a lot of people out there are doing that. I've done that in the past myself. So I really appreciate you giving insight into that. I think the piece that really stuck out for me was how simple you're making it for people to self-select yes or no, for people to, you're not doing a lot of fancy stuff. You're just finding those people out there who want what you have and making it easy for them to say yes to taking that next step and then yes to converting. So um, I really appreciate that simplicity. You can check Mark and his company out at contentelect.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-T-E-L-L-E-C-T.com. Mark, thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot, Morgan. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. I told you Mark has an extremely simple yet effective process. Most of the time, it's best to keep things simple and only add complexity in response to a challenge, not in preparation for one. Look, if you have a question about this episode, ideas on what could be better, or even a suggestion on what I should talk about next, please send me an email to morgan at morgandwilliams.com. That's M-O-R-G-A-N at M-O-R-G-A-N, D is in David, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S.com. Thanks for listening.